So it's been a bit of a, a stretching six weeks that we've had um, this August and now early September in this series called Bible Study. I have been uh, impressed and amazed, I just want to say, with our entire community for the way that, that you all have journeyed through um, this conversation together with us. You've done it with grace. You've done it with trust. You've done it with love. Um, it's been amazing. And uh, probably, first and foremost, you've done it with this incredible amount of engagement, just intellectual engagement. It's taken a lot of focus, hasn't it? A lot of concentration to kind of um, to stick with these conversations. They've been hard conversations, and it's required a lot out of all of us to, to focus and to concentrate on what it is that we're talking about. And I feel kind of bad for how intellectually taxing some of these mornings have been. But this morning, to make it up to you for this last week in this Bible study series, I'm going to give us a bit of an exercise to do. It's an exercise in in concentration and focus. It's a little bit of a way for us to warm ourselves up so that we are ready and able to concentrate uh, throughout the entire conversation this morning. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you a video in a second. And some of you may have seen this video before. I've done this test. And, And if you have, please don't call out the answer. I want those who haven't seen it, to really engage with it and to focus and concentrate. And Because uh, and, what the video is, it's a video of six basketball players. And three of them are wearing white shirts and three of them are wearing black shirts. And each team is passing around a basketball and they're all moving around in a circle together. There's a lot of movement, a lot of things happening. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to focus like a laser on the team with the white shirts. And I want you to count how many times they pass the basketball. It's going to take a lot of concentration, but focus on the white shirt and count how many times they pass, pass the basketball around. Okay, you ready? Here we go. So how do we do? How do we do? Um, obviously, I'm not at your location, but somebody at each location, shout out the answer. How many times did the white team pass the basketball? Shout it out. All right, I hope somebody said 15. 15 is the right answer. Again, I can't see you, but you can see each other. Put up your hand if you got 15, okay? Put up your hand if you were close. If you got like 14 or 16, you were within one, okay? Good work, everybody. One more question. How many people saw the gorilla? (laughs) Now, like statistically, 50% of the people in every one of our locations are saying, what on earth is he talking about right now? Seriously, I want you to watch the video again. This time, don't count the passes. This is exactly the video watch. Check this out. Isn't that crazy? If you've never experienced it before, if you, if you were actually sucked into it, this is an experiment developed by a guy named Daniel Simons about selective attention. It's about the way that we focus our, conver- our concentration so tightly on a particular thing that we're interested in that we actually lose the capability to see anything else, including things that, in retrospect, ought to be really like a big, hairy gorilla walking right through the middle of the video. Statistically, whenever they do this, 50% of the participants can't see the gorilla. It's a crazy thing. And this is what we've been doing for this entire month. We've been focusing our attention like a laser on what Scripture is, on how we think about Scripture. Right? We've been talking about this proposal that I put out there, that the Bible is not just God's book, 
though it is. It's 100% divine. The source of the scriptures is deep in the spirit of God. It originates from him. It's God's book. But it's not just a divine book. What is scripture? We're also a human book. But the way God revealed scripture, inspired scripture, was to inspire ancient authors to write down um, their experiences, their encounters with God in through their ancient perspectives and their ancient understandings and their ancient knowledge and ancient culture, how would that help us, the question has been, reconcile some of the emotional challenges we face when we read scripture? Um, what if when we come across statements in scripture where it doesn't seem like scripture is inerrant when it comes to matters of science or history, what if we were able to remember these are ancient people who had ancient understandings of science. or these are ancient people who wrote history in ancient ways, not modern ways. And that helps to explain some of the reasons why the Bible doesn't seem to speak truly about science or history. What if when we, when we see places where scripture doesn't appear to be communicating consistently about what we ought to believe, about how we ought to behave, what if we were to remember that these are ancient people? That scripture isn't just God revealing his absolute truth for all time in every passage. But this is actually a spiritual conversation between God and his people that carries them from their earlier, cruder understandings towards the fullest revelation of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. How would that help us reconcile some of the challenges that we face when we're reading scripture? That's what we've been talking about for five weeks. But now as we get to the sixth week, having concentrated on this stuff for five weeks... Here's my confession for this morning. Um, this series was never about Scripture, really. In some ways, we've preached series before with an intro sermon and then five weeks you know, of, of the series. In some ways, this series is more like five intro sermons, and this entire series happens this morning. Because in some ways, all we've done throughout this entire series, is clean away the debris that accumulates on top of how we think about the Bible so that we can focus on the real point, which is Jesus. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is talking to the Jewish religious leaders, to scribes, you know, people like me who make a living studying and teaching and, and helping people know how to apply the scriptures to their lives. He's talking to people like Pharisees who would be comparable to our church elders or some of the church staff or our key volunteers, people who are role models in the spiritual life, recognized leaders in the community, people who whose example should be followed in the way that they live the scriptures in their daily life. And Jesus is saying, you guys are so obsessed. You're so focused on scripture, on reading and understanding it and defending it and arguing for it and understand, applying it to your life and so on. You're so obsessed with the scriptures because you think that it's in the scriptures that you have eternal life and you've missed the entire point of the scriptures, which is me. In effect, what Jesus says is, you're so busy counting passes, trying to get the right answers, 
that you miss the big hairy gorilla walking right through the middle of the screen, which is, which is me. And the reality is, friends, I think we do this with Scripture all the time. We start talking about the Bible and we get embroiled in philosophical debates about what kind of book this is. Or we, um, we get all wound up in apologetically trying to defend the scriptures or to, to prove its truthfulness or its reliability scientifically or historically. You know, we get all wound up tight about um, ethical debates about what Christians should or shouldn't do. We get all tangled up in trying to develop our own theological system so we can nail down exactly what it is that we believe. And Jesus says, if, those are, can all be important conversations, but if in the process of having those conversations, you lose sight of Jesus, then you have missed the entire point of the scriptures. The only thing you've been doing is counting passes trying to get the right answer, and you've missed the big, hairy gorilla, which is Jesus. Jesus is more important than the Bible. And I feel like it's time for us to stop putting our faith in the Bible and time for us to start putting our faith in Jesus. Now, somebody's going to say, well, listen, the Bible is how we know about Jesus, and that's Absolutely true, but consider this. The Bible is not the only thing that reveals Jesus to us. It just isn't. Worship reveals Jesus to us. The sacraments like baptism and communion reveal Jesus to us. Prayer, individual and corporate, reveal Jesus to us. The church and what it is reveals Jesus to us. Our community with those who love Jesus reveal Jesus to us. He says, where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. In fact, that, that passage is about some people confronting someone else about sin in their life in those really hard conversations of accountability where people are speaking truth in love into your life. That reveals Jesus to you. We encounter Jesus there. We encounter Jesus in the poor Jesus says, in as much as you serve those who have been marginalized, you are serving me and the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the sick and the stranger and the prisoner. We encounter Jesus there. We encounter Jesus in creation. The psalmist says, all of creation sings the glory of God. Those who have put their faith in Christ are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to our spirit about Jesus. There are lots of ways for us to be pointed to the person of Jesus, think about it this way. For 350 years, the church didn't even have a Bible. It took three and a half centuries before the church was able to nail down exactly which books should be in the Bible. It took 1,500 years and the invention of the printing press before a regular church or a regular person could even own a Bible for themselves. Prior to that, this church had those scrolls and that church had those scrolls and you traded every once in a while. It was 1,500 years before a regular church could have a Bible of their own. It took 1,800 years before the average Christian could read a Bible because of literacy rates. That's only 200 years ago. 90% of the history of the church, Christians have been unable to read the Bible and yet they've been pointed to Jesus the whole time. Jesus is bigger 
than the Bible. All the Bible is, is a signpost pointing the way to Jesus. And what we do is we get caught up in arguing about the sign. Oh, the sign's too big, the sign's too small, it's the, too high, it's the wrong color, I don't like the font, it should say something different, I'm not sure it points in the right direction. We get all into all this argument about the sign, and what we forget to do is follow where the sign is pointing and go be with Jesus. Jesus says, that's the point. And if you're reading the scriptures for anything other than me, you've missed the big hairy gorilla in the room. You've lost sight of the thing that really matters in fact Jesus isn't just bigger than the Bible Jesus envelops the entire Bible in Romans chapter 11 it says this it says for from him and through him and for him or to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen from him through him to him are all things including the scriptures the scriptures are from Jesus The Bible that we have finds its source and its origin in the person of Jesus. We've said that the the scripture finds its origin in the deepest part of the spirit of God. It is the spirit of the God who revealed himself in Jesus Christ. The entire scripture we have received from Jesus to point to himself. In John chapter 1 it says this, In the beginning was the word. Jesus, capital W. And the word was with God, and the word was God. What John is saying is that Jesus is the only thing that God has been saying in the entire history of the universe. It's Jesus. And all the scriptures are, are the person of Jesus reduced to written form. It is the living word written down as the written word. From Jesus come the scriptures. Through Jesus come the scriptures. Jesus is how we understand what the scriptures are all about. If if the written word is simply the life of Jesus reduced to print, then the life of Jesus is simply the written word of God come to life animated, 3D, in real time, lived out right before our very eyes. Jesus is the word of God come to life, embodied in a human being. That's why he says in in John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way to understand scripture. I'm the truth about what scripture is communicating and I am the life for those who will seek after me through the pages of scripture. We arrive at the message of the Bible through Jesus for from him come the scriptures. Through him we encounter the scriptures and to him the scriptures deliver us. The goal of scripture is Jesus. The scriptures carry us to him. We've said every single week, the purpose of the scriptures is to transform us as people into the image of Christ. Jesus is the climax and the goal and the purpose of everything that we read in scripture. They're from him, they're through him, they're to him, they're about him, they're for him, they they envelop him or he envelops them. This changes, friends, the way that we read the Bible. It has to. It changes the way that we read. I would say it changes it like this. 
If, if the scripture is from Jesus, then we have to read every scripture as though it came from Jesus. One of the criticisms that we've received in this series, people have said, um, so every time you say, every time you question whether or not an Old Testament story happened exactly the way it's recorded, or every time you say the Old Testament might not have gotten it right when it describes God as a genocidal maniac, every time you say something like that, you are invalidating the Old Testament. You're saying that it's irrelevant. You're disconnecting it from the Christian experience. And I would quote Paul to you from the book of Romans and say, may it never be. Absolutely not. That's like saying... Well, you don't really need to watch episodes one through five if you have Return of the Jedi, right? Return of the Jedi kind of renders all those other Star Wars episodes as irrelevant. Well, that's nonsense. You, can, you can't even understand what's happening in Return of the Jedi unless you watch episodes one through five. Well, let's be fair, two through five. Right, I, sorry for picking Star Wars, Anna Green Gables, if that's your flavor, or Harry Potter, whatever. You can't just jump to the last book. The last book is meaningless unless it is contained within the arc of the story of the whole thing. I don't think, what I have said over and over again, I'll say it this way, what I've said over and over again is that regardless of the conclusion that you personally arrive at when it comes to, especially with the Old Testament, and especially the oldest parts of the Old Testament, the conclusion you arrive at when it comes to the historicity, how historically accurate those stories are, whatever conclusion you draw is kind of irrelevant. Because these are the stories, exactly the way they are, that Jesus wanted to tell us. These are the stories that Jesus wanted us wrestling with. These are the stories that Jesus thought we needed if we were going to be transformed into the image of Christ. And so ignoring parts of the Bible, absolutely not. You read the whole thing, every page, as though it were being spoken to you by the person of Jesus. And you ask the question, why would Jesus want me to wrestle with this story? Because the scriptures come from him. The scriptures come to us through him. And that changes how we read the scriptures. Jesus is the key to understanding all of the Bible. Um, there's a story in the last chapter of the book of Luke, Luke 24. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected, but not everybody knows that. And the story is about two disciples who are walking down the road from Jerusalem to their hometown in Emmaus. And these disciples are discouraged, depressed, despondent. They're confused. Because the person they had invested their life in following, Jesus, has now died. And their dreams of Jesus being the Messiah have been shattered. And now there are rumors swirling around that Jesus has been raised from the dead and they're confused. They don't know what to make of that. And so they're kind of stumbling their way back home. And all of a sudden Jesus is there walking along beside him. And he says, fellas, why the long face? And they said, well, haven't you heard? And he said, heard what? And they said, well, Jesus of Nazareth, this guy we thought would be the Messiah has died. Which wouldn't have happened if he would be the Messiah. It says in Luke 24, 25, he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He went through the whole scripture as they knew it, the Old Testament, and he explained how all the scriptures pointed to him. Jesus says, your problem, fellas, and the reason you've missed it is that you've been reading it all wrong. I'm the key to understanding what the scriptures say. Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, once said that um, the only way to really enter into a scripture is through the door, which is Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said it this way. The reformer in the 1500s said, some scriptures are tough nuts to crack. You have to throw them against the rock of Christ, and then they split open and reveal their delicious kernel. Jesus is the way to understand the scriptures. So when we pick up our Bibles and read, which I hope that we're doing with frequency in our lives, We pick up our Bibles not to read randomly and hear God speak to us, though sometimes he does, and that's wonderful. We don't pick up our Bibles in order to get a verse for the day. You know, something that I have to work on today. In your anger, do not sin. Okay, today I'm going to work on my anger. Though sometimes the Bible confronts stuff in us, and that's wonderful. We don't pick up the Bible looking for advice on our, our dating and love life or advice on finance or advice on parenting or advice on dieting or what have you. That's not what the scripture is for. Though if your life is about following Jesus, some of those things will be changed. We don't engage with the scriptures to enter into the latest ethical debate about what Christians should or shouldn't do. We don't enter the scriptures for the latest theological discussion to nail down our belief system or anything else. We enter into the scriptures to see Jesus. And that doesn't mean like Jesus in every verse and every proverb and every character in the Bible is somehow representative of Jesus and every story is somehow an allegory of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is reading the text to see Jesus. I'll give you an example right from the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah the prophet says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, And we'll call him Emmanuel. Right? It's a passage that we read every Christmas because Isaiah in this passage is predicting the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. Except he isn't at all. Not in the least. Right? The Hebrew word virgin actually literally means young woman. That's all it means. Now, often young women were virgins and so it kind of gets this secondary meaning. But the young woman that Isaiah is talking about is not a virgin. It's his wife if you read the rest of chapter 7 and chapter 8. And what Isaiah is saying is, cheer up Israel, God is going to intervene and rescue us. And here's how you know that God is going to do that. Within a year, my wife is going to be pregnant and we're going to give birth to a son. And before that son is old enough to know the difference between right and wrong, God will have intervened. And so when my son is born in less than a year, you will know that God is with us. Isaiah's talking about his wife, a natural conception, the birth of his son, and events that are going to happen in his lifetime that remind, in the next couple of years, actually, which remind people that God is with us. Fast forward 800 years. Matthew's writing a biography of his friend, 
Jesus. And one of the stories that Matthew has that he wants to tell is this story of how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in in his mother Mary, who was a virgin at the time, so that Jesus would be truly called the Son of God. And Matthew is scanning his memory of the scriptures and he comes across this passage in Isaiah and he says, boy, this, this sounds exactly like Jesus. And so in Matthew 1, he says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew says, this sounds exactly like Jesus, except, except for a young woman, Isaiah's wife, it's actually a real virgin. And the son who is being born is really the son of God. And, and the name Emmanuel doesn't mean, see, God's got our backs. The name Emmanuel means, in Jesus, God is literally walking among us. Matthew saw Jesus in that text from Isaiah. Not because that's what Isaiah was saying. But because Matthew was reading, looking for Jesus. And I think when we pick up and read, we're reading to see Jesus in the text. I think we're reading to see Jesus through the text. A British scholar N.T. Wright says, the Bible should be read like a five-act play, telling the story of how God is rescuing his people and renewing creation. That's That's the drama of the Bible. He says, act one is about creation, about how God created a good world and he populated it with special creatures who reflect his image into the world, who are to live in a relationship with him and with each other to partner together to reflect the goodness, truth, and beauty of God's love into the world. It's the story of creation. The second act is called sin. And it's about how humanity selfishly ignored God, oppressed each other, and exploited creation for their own ends. And in so doing, they introduced chaos and turmoil and pain and death into the world. Act three is called Israel. Where God chooses the nation of Israel among all the nations of the world to be the people that he calls to himself with whom he lives in relationship, who he teaches to love each other so that they can reflect the goodness, truth, and beauty of God's love into the world, except Israel fails. And so we come to Act 4, which is called Jesus. And in Act 4, Jesus comes. God chooses one man out of Israel, Jesus of Nazareth, to be his representative, God living in human flesh, to be everything Israel was meant to be and to do everything Israel was meant to do to suffer for the sin of the world, to break the power of sin over creation in order to set creation free. And then act five, the story of the kingdom that is coming on earth as it is in heaven, where God gathers a new community around himself called the church and he fills the church with the power of the Holy Spirit so that they can love God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength and love each other as much as they love themselves to partner together filled with the Spirit alongside of Jesus to reflect the goodness, truth, and beauty of the love of God into the world until the day Jesus returns and the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. That's the story of Scripture. And every time we read, we should be reading for the story. Every passage we read, we should be asking ourselves questions like, how do I see God's vision for creation in this passage? How do I see God's vision for a world filled with the goodness, truth, and beauty of his love? 
In what way can I be inspired by the vision of Jesus for the world? Every time we read, we should ask questions about sin. What do I see in this passage about how I and we and the church and humanity have ignored God and oppressed each other and exploited creation and introduced pain and turmoil and and chaos and death? What do we need to be forgiven by Jesus for? We should read every passage and ask ourselves the question about calling. What does it look like for God to call us to be people and a community that is partnering with him in relationship with him and each other to be his goodness and love reflected to the world? How should we be transformed by Jesus? We should ask questions about Jesus. What does this passage show me about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's like, about his character and nature, and and what it is that God is transforming me into? We should ask ourselves questions about the kingdom, about the hope that is coming, about um, what God is calling us to accomplish in the world and the ways that we need to be filled by Jesus. Every time we read, the questions we should ask are about how these stories connect to the story of how God is rescuing his people and redeeming creation through Jesus. Because the scriptures come from him and they go through him and they take us to him. Every time we read, we should ask ourselves the question of how these scriptures are transforming us into the image of Christ. We've said in every week, the scriptures teach us and confront us in terms of what we believe. That the scriptures correct us and they train us in how to live rightly in the world with the purpose that we as God's servants would be fully equipped for every good thing he's called us to do. Fully equipped to stand with him and reflect the goodness, truth, and beauty of the love of God into the world with each other in relationship with God because of the Holy Spirit in us. That's what the scriptures are for. To transform us into the image of Christ. Which is why Pentecostal theologian Chris Green says, you can test the validity of a person's interpretation of scripture by the degree to which they are being formed into the image of Christ. Because you cannot interpret scripture rightly and not end up being transformed into the image of Christ. And if you are not being formed into the image of Christ, it is because in part you have interpreted scripture poorly. Uh, the, The character of our You know, our own character becomes for us the litmus test of how well we are reading the scriptures through the lens of Jesus. Which is why, without even knowing anything about their theology and what they teach, I can tell you that Westboro Baptist is not handling the scriptures well because they are not being formed into the image of Christ. So we read the scriptures asking ourselves, in what ways does this passage shape us into the person of Jesus, into a person of love? Friends, that's what it's about. It's not about counting passes. It's not about getting the right answer. It's not about nailing down our theology, figuring out what Christians should do. Those are all important conversations. It's about the big, hairy gorilla walking right through the center of every page in the Bible, which is the person of Jesus. And may we become the kind of community that learns to focus our attention and concentration on him. That Jesus might jump 
off of every page in the scripture confront us, call us, transform us, and fill us until we are equipped for every good thing he's called us to do. Let's pray together. Jesus, we repent of all of the ways that we have read scripture for every other single motivation than discovering you, being drawn to you, being led by you, being transformed by you, being filled by you, and being sent by you to be agents of your love and goodness in the world. God, may every conversation we have about Scripture be a conversation in which you have the opportunity to form us into the image of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.